0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to do something this morning that's a little unusual. I've I've never done this before. I've always been brave enough to, from time to time, to repeat a sermon. But I'm actually going to repeat a sermon that I preached earlier this calendar year. I remember when I said to my wife about that, she said, honey. I said, and so I replied before she could even finish her statement. I said, these people can't remember what I preached last week. So I said... (laughs) let alone the beginning of the year. But uh, for those of you that can remember, uh, it's okay. I actually have uh, tried to uh, change this around a little bit um, and and uh, freshened it up. But I cannot get away from uh, the theme that we have this year, Declare the Gospel. For those of you that are new here, uh, we have these uh, banners that are right on either side of our baptistry window. Every year we put out a theme that we believe for the year and uh, oftentimes it's anywhere from six to eight months that the Lord lays in my heart about a theme for a calendar year and we set out to talk about declaring the gospel. Little did I know that we would have a storm that would come through that would give us a grand opportunity to declare the gospel. And so I want to share with you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'd like you to look there. If you don't have a Bible, just listen on. The first four verses I'm going to read, they are crucial verses to the life of a Christian. Not only when it comes to you receiving Christ as your Savior, but to the message that you have to give to those around you. Look at verse number one as I read this, please. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures let's talk about this very important subject this morning declare the gospel and let's take this to the lord in prayer lord i thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the good news of jesus christ help those that are here today without christ to come to the place where they would, by faith, receive Jesus as their Savior. For those who have already trusted you, and they know that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, I pray that they would have a burden, a desire, and the will to go forward to declare that glorious gospel. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All of us, I believe, are familiar with the story of the sinking of the Titanic back in 1912, but probably very few are familiar with one of the people who is a born-again Christian on that particular ship. His name was John Harper, and he was a Scottish preacher who had a burden for the lost. When that ship had hit the iceberg and sank... Harper was able to find a piece of driftwood and actually hang on. There he was in the darkness out in that sea, drifting, and someone had drifted close by to him and was crying profusely. And Harper then shouted to him, he said, Are you saved? And the man replied, No. Harper said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The man drifted away, but shortly back came back into sight and again harper asked him are you saved and the man said no and again harper shouted to the man believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved soon after that harper slipped under the waves and went home to be with jesus that other man was rescued a short time later by the ss at carpathia and later testified that he was John Harper's last convert. With his dying breath, and in the midst of such tragedy, John Harper knew the greatest thing he could do was to share the gospel with those around him. I mentioned earlier that declaring the gospel has been our theme this year. But I must ask you today, how many of you are declaring the gospel. I don't want you to lift a hand. I don't want you to go ahead and and give me a big smile, but I want you to answer this to yourself, because whether you can fool me or not, you cannot fool God. God knows what it is that you're doing with his kingdom plan. You know, the statistics of those that are witnessing and declaring the gospel are really staggering. It has been estimated that 95% of all Christians have never led a soul to Jesus Christ. One study conducted about 10 years ago by the Lifeway Research gave the following statistics about a survey of people they did who were saved, about under 3,000 churchgoers, and here's what they found 80% believe that they have the responsibility to share the gospel. But 61% had not shared their faith with anyone in the last six months. In fact, 48% had not even invited anybody to go to church with them in the last six months. 20% rarely or never pray for anyone who is not a professing Christian. In fact, I think the greatest thing that really shocked me as I was preparing this, one of the people who's gone about and done surveys amongst Christians, his name is George Barna, and he summarized his studies years ago this way. He said, the average Christian in America today will die without ever having shared their faith in Christ with another person. That's sad. Now, why don't we share our faith Why don't we tell people about the glorious gospel? We say that we've been gloriously saved. We rejoice in the fact we go to heaven someday, but we don't take the time to share that good news with other people. And in this last year, you may have sat in these pews and been challenged to declare the gospel and yet not gotten out there. And I want to share with you this aspect That God has allowed things to happen in this community, and he's allowed them to happen for a reason. There probably are multiple reasons of why we have gone through what we've gone through. Maybe personal things that you're facing and you're realizing what God is doing in your life, but for you as an individual, for we as a church body, we must come to the realization that there is a lost world around us. There is a whole group of people right here. We don't need to travel across the world. We don't need to go learn another language to give the gospel. We have people all around us who are without Jesus Christ, and they need to hear the gospel. Would you consider today taking the moment, taking the time this week to declare the gospel with those who desperately need it. You and I today have a message of forgiveness, of salvation, and of blessing. Those of you who believe and have received this message are not only not under the guilt and condemnation of sin, but you've been made a child of God. Those of you that have been saved are the beneficiaries of someone who has declared the gospel to you. When I think about declaring the gospel, I think about the message, the proclamation, the giving of it. All around us, we have messages that are being given to us. We may read messages on billboards. We may see advertisements on television. And all around us, people are giving us a message That message may be given on behalf of a business or organization on their product and what they want to give to you. Today, we're in this political scene and we're upcoming on an election and there are so many people running for office that are giving their message, they're declaring why it is that you ought to vote for them. But I must submit to you today that more important than the products you purchase The political messages that you may buy into, there is a subject that is worth declaring and it is a matter of life and death. Imagine with me for just a moment if you found out today that about five years ago I had found the cure for cancer. I don't know about you, if you've been affected personally, my own mother was taken from this life by cancer. And I've had many other dear friends and acquaintances that I have known who have died from that. But imagine if five years ago, I had been given the cure, but I never shared it with anybody. And in those five years, you had a loved one who was taken in death by way of cancer. And then you find out I had that cure. What would your feelings be towards me? You probably might be mad. You might be angry about the fact that I had the knowledge that could possibly cure your loved one, but I never said anything about it. Could I say to you that you and I have a greater cure than that of cancer? It is a cure for the souls of men and women. People today are lost in sin and without hope of eternal life. Men and women today are plagued with the guilt of sin. They're weighed down with the consequences of their sinful actions. And they're trying to find answers for peace in this life. And yet you and I have the cure for the ills of mankind. When a person places their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross of Calvary, they are born again and given eternal life. But I'm going to tell you today, that message cannot be received unless it is delivered and declared. So again, the question is, what are you doing to declare the message of the gospel? You know, it's amazing how many people think that it's just the preacher's job to declare the gospel. I'm here to set that right today. It's all of our job as believers to get the glorious gospel out there. You may say to yourself, well, I, I, don't, I don't know how to share the gospel. I, I, I think God might use someone else or God might write a message in the clouds. Look, it'd be nice if God would write a message in the clouds, but God is calling you as a born-again believer to share the glorious gospel with those around you. So let me look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's talk about this grand duty of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to note the power of that declaration. In other words, there is an ability that is being given to us, or better yet, an authority that is being given to you and I to share the message of Jesus Christ. And I believe that that authority for that message is nowhere better seen than in the apostle Paul when he got saved. You remember Paul was, first of all, before he got saved, he was known as Saul. And Saul was a man that really didn't give much uh, 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 thought about Jesus Christ. In fact, he didn't really believe in him. People had said that he had risen from the dead, but Paul didn't believe that. Saul had thought that these believers that were out there were a nuisance to the Roman government, and the best way to bring about peace was to take these Christians and lock them up in jail. Get them where they're silenced. Get them where they're not sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. So one day, Paul, or Saul, is on his way to Damascus, and while he's on the road to that particular city to lock up Christians and put them in jail... Saul is coming face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there is a great light that that literally blinds him for a period of time. And a voice from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, basically asks Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Kind of a funny question, is it not? Not? Why am I persecuting you personally? Well, what Paul had been doing, or Saul, rather, had been persecuting these believers. And because Saul had been persecuting them, he had been persecuting Jesus, if you will. And so Jesus asked this question, and Saul, make a long story short, comes to a place where he places his faith in Jesus Christ. One of the greatest salvation pictures is found there in Acts chapter 9, And Saul is brought to a place to wait and then God goes ahead and he calls a man by the name of Ananias to go see Saul and give him his next orders of what he's to do. Imagine being Ananias receiving the orders to go see Saul. Who? Isn't that the man that's killed Christians? Isn't that the man that's put Christians in jail? You want me to go talk to him, be in the same room with him? sure enough ananias goes and comes to saul and i love what verse 15 says of acts chapter 9 after much argument whether ananias ought to go the lord tells him go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel and i must say that as i read the rest of the new testament The Apostle Paul was a great declarer of the gospel. Now you read the scriptures and you say, well, that was good for Paul. I'm glad for him. But I don't have the same personality as Paul. I don't have the same calling as Paul. My friend, you're mistaken. You may be different in personality. You may not be as bold, humanly speaking. But can I say to you that all of us, no matter how important you are or how insignificant you are, no matter how much you know about the gospel or how very little you know about the gospel, all of us have the authority given to us to share that glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I wish we had it on the screen, but take your Bibles and hold your place here and, just, and go back to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. And I want you to notice verses 19 and 20. There are some great verses that are given to us about what we call in the Christian faith the Great Commission. Now, it is great because it outweighs every other commission that is given to you. But I want you to notice it is a commission. It's not a suggestion. It's not a if I get around to it, I'll do it. No, it is something that is given by the King of kings and Lord of lords for you and I to do as a believer. Look at Matthew 28, verse 19. The Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, this commission is given in three parts. Number one, we're to go and disciple, that is, make disciples disciples. Lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number two, see those believers follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Number three, teach them the things that we have been taught. But it is a great commission that we're to go out and do and to share the gospel. How thrilled I am for these chaplains and these Samaritan purse workers that are out there giving the gospel. How thrilled I am for people that are called Calvary Baptist home that are giving the gospel out. And may I remind you that this is a commission given by a high authority, God in heaven. You say, how do you know it's an authority given? Well, oftentimes when we look at verses 19 and 20, we often leave out verse 18, but look at verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word power in the King James is a very interesting word. When we think of power, we think of strength. We think of might. But the word power here is a word that talks about authority. And what Jesus is saying is, I have all authority to give to you, to empower you, to enlist you to do the job that you need to do. Now go and do it. Go and do it. It's your job to reach people. And Jesus said, I will help you. You feel inadequate. You feel unable to do it. You don't know where to start. Can I remind you that the power, the authority is given by Jesus Christ. Number two, I want you to notice this, please. And that is the particulars of that declaration. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm noting here verses 3 and 4. It's interesting here that we're answered the question of what it is that we're to declare. Look what the Bible says. Paul is saying, for I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received. Now notice three statements he makes about Jesus Christ. First of all, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Secondly, Christ was buried, verse 4. And then number three, Christ rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So notice these three areas. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. And number three, he rose again according to the Scriptures. All of these are statements of fact. In other words, first of all, there is a historical affirmation Jesus Christ did die, Jesus Christ was buried, Jesus Christ did rise again. There are people who were around the cross. There are people that went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. There are over 500 people, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, who saw the resurrected Lord. It is historically accurate that Jesus Christ fulfilled all these. But I want you to notice there is a scriptural affirmation to all this. It's very interesting that the Bible says that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again. And both of those phrases said, according to the scriptures. What does he mean by that? Go back to the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, you know what the prophets were saying? There's coming a Messiah who will die for you. There's coming a Messiah who will be raised again. There's coming one, the Son of God, who will die, be buried, and rise again the third day for your salvation. All of that was given. Now, most of the time when we think about the gospel, we don't think about the particulars. But I want to tell you that every aspect of what he shares in verses 3 and 4 are important pieces of the gospel. Why do you and I need to be saved? Because we're sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a person in here that's not a sinner, and therefore your sin carries with it a penalty. It keeps you from heaven. God cannot allow sin into heaven. The Bible says in Matthew 5.48, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. And therefore we've all blown it. We're all sinners. So it takes for your sin to be covered. It takes for your sin to be removed, to the guilt to be taken away. But none of us can take it away ourselves. None of us can work for someone else and say, well, I tell you what, let me take your sin away. My friend, we're all in the same boat and that boat is sinking. But praise God, there was one who was perfect The very son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on that cross, he lived a perfect life, never committed one single sin, and therefore, when he died on the cross, all the sins of the world were placed upon him, and he satisfied the very wrath of God. He took your penalty. That's why I love the phrase, when it says about Jesus, he died for our sins in our place. But then he was buried. You know, the, ba- the fact that Jesus was buried is very interesting. It actually here, uh, uh, it marked acceptance of the fact of his death. But when Jesus was buried, I believe that literally he took our sins and put them far away I love the verse in Psalm chapter 103 verse 12 that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now let me ask you those that love science and astronomy, do the east and west ever come back and meet again? I don't know that answered that question. But to me, when I read Psalm 103 verse 12, you know what what it seems to indicate to me? That God has taken our sins and buried them, put them away, never to be brought up again. I love Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus. Oh, the devil might try to remind you of your sins from the past. Oh, the devil may try to bring those before your face. But if you're a born-again Christian, there is no condemnation. God has taken those sins and put them away. But the beauty is not that just that he died and was buried, but he rose again you say, what's so significant about that? Let me tell you something. If we could go back to the tomb and say, oh, here's the bones of Jesus, you have no salvation. If Jesus wasn't risen from the dead, then the faith that you have in him is all in vain. But I'm here to remind you the fact that Jesus did rise again. And when he rose again, he showed that he had victory over death, and he had victory over your sin, and he's alive forevermore. So the particulars of the gospel are so important. Because as you share with people who are sinners and who are trying to work their way to heaven and trying to go to church and trying to be a good person, none of that suffices. But there is one who died in your place. There is one who satisfied the justice of God and was buried and rose again and is asking you and pleading with you to trust him as your savior. Oh, how beautiful. It is to know Jesus Christ. But now I want you to notice the proof of that declaration. You know, if you're going to take time to declare a message, then isn't it nice to know that that message at least has some value to it? It's something that we can give our all to. I remember one of the summers when I was working, uh, when I was in college... And I come home one summer and I had a particular job, but I was offered a side job and it was a little unusual for me because those of you who are here and know that I'm not much of an animal person would find this particular or peculiar. I was selling dog food that summer. Now, how I got caught up into this racket, I'm not sure. And I don't remember the name of the dog food, but I really, you know, first of all, I'm not not an animal lover, and so therefore it was unusual for me to be trying to market dog food, but I didn't know how it, I mean, I I, I didn't know how it was. I didn't experience, I didn't try any of it, I didn't take it and just kind of eat them like a couple little pieces of candy, I, I didn't know how good this was. I didn't know any people who had animals that had tried that. So for me to market this, for me to share with people, oh, this is a good product, I almost felt like I was lying through the whole summer, you know, just tell me, buy this dog food. But I can tell you this. There's been a lot of things that I've tried to tell people and sell to people and share with people, but there's been nothing greater to share than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul's saying here? Look at these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. And then he says, which also ye have received, and I like this, and wherein ye stand. You see, not only Paul is saying, did I lead you to Christ and you received that, but you've been saved for a period of time. You've rejoiced in what God has done and you stand in that and there's some value in the message. And I want to say to you today that as a personal testimony, I can wholeheartedly tell you that there is great value in the message of salvation. How do you know? God saved me. Now, you, you, most of you did not know me before I was saved. But I can tell you, before I was saved, I wanted to do my thing. I wanted to live my way. I wanted to live for the world. I had grown up in church and had been raised around it. I knew Bible verses backwards and forwards and sideways. But I didn't care about any of that. I wanted to live my life. And then I came to a crossroads, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you that some 30-plus years later, I stand in that glorious gospel and tell you it works. It's powerful. Because if it can change a rebel like me, it can change you. If it can change a rebel like me, it can change that relative who you're trying to share the gospel with. It can share, it can change that neighbor that you're trying to declare the gospel to because the gospel truly works. But lastly, I want you to notice the proclamation of that declaration. To me, this is where the rubber meets the road and the whole thrust of this message is right here. Notice in verse number one, the words declare. And then in verses 1 and 2, the words preached. Now the word declare means to make known. If I declare a message to you, I'm making known something to you that you may not have known before. The word preach is an interesting word. It comes from a particular Greek word, which means to announce good news. This is where you and I come in. You and I are to declare, that is to make known, and we are to preach or announce the good news of the gospel. Now, I know a lot of people look at that and they go, well, preacher, I'm not a preacher. But if you're born again, yes, you are. You may not be a preacher in the same vein that I am or that some others who are ordained in the ministry and are preaching the gospel full time, but all of us as believers are preachers. We are people that are to declare the gospel and announce the good news. You say, how do I do that? Well, first of all, get educated on how to share the gospel. It's not difficult. Learn the the, the 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 plan of salvation learn how to share it with others equip yourself there's a there's a table right out there that has a bunch of gospel tracts and and take some of those and begin to share them with people wherever you go you sit down at a restaurant leave one with a tip a good tip I may say leave it with the, the clerk there at a store while you're paying for your goods wherever it is that you go, leave out gospel tracks, look for opportunities to share the gospel. And then may I say with what's going on right now, there are grand opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think with me for just a moment of, the, of this aspect of declaring the gospel. We've been given a message by a higher authority It's a message that informs people of why Jesus came. It is a life-changing message, but now it's up to you to share, to preach, to declare that good news. There's a story that's told about a man by the name of Charles Peace. He was actually a very well-known criminal in England in the 1800s. He actually was executed on February 25th, 1879. Right before his execution, there was an Anglican minister that half-heartedly read to him from the consolations of religion. And here's what he read. Those who die without Christ experience hell which is a pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. Again, he read it very half-hearted, monotone. The man who was getting ready to be executed, Charles, stopped this Anglican minister and said, Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. That man got it. He understood the value of the message. Can I ask you, do you understand it? In 1883, C.H. Spurgeon, in a particular sermon he was preaching, said these words, men are going to heaven or hell, and it is time that we came to close grips with them about this all-important matter. God, help us to do so. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Today, I've talked with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm mainly pleading throughout the message with born-again believers to take that message and share it with those who are lost. But it's highly possible that you're here today and you're lost. You've never accepted Jesus as Savior. Oh, my friend, I I want to plead with you today to place your faith in Him. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, in fact, you have nagging doubts about when you die, where you'll go. You don't ever remember accepting Christ. You don't remember placing your faith in Him. You don't have that assurance. I want to encourage you that today could be the day that you are saved. You can mark it down. And you can know Jesus. You say, preacher, is, that re- is it really that easy? Absolutely. Could I encourage you right now to just pray and ask the Lord to be your Savior? You say, what does that entail? Well, first of all, you have to acknowledge who you are. You're a sinner. You're a sinner that carries a penalty with that sin. That penalty keeps you from heaven. will take you to a place called hell. But the beauty is as I've explained in this message Jesus Christ God's son lived a perfect life in this earth and he died in your place So really what remains is for you you're either going to trust in yourself to get to heaven or you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ I'd rather place my faith in Jesus Christ And so today I'd like to encourage you that if you're without Jesus and you're not saved today Would you pray right now and ask the Lord to be your savior? Right now, I'm going to pray just a simple prayer. And I'm going to pray it out loud in short phrases. And if you'd like to be saved today, would you pray it right now here today? Pray it to yourself. Don't say it out loud. But what you hear, please understand, it's not the formula. It's not the words. You have to believe with your heart. This has to be something that you say, I need this. I want this. Here's the prayer. As I pray it out loud, would you pray it right now to yourself? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I cannot save myself. But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for my sins. And right now, I'm asking Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior. Now, right now, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I will not call you out. But I want to go ahead and ask you this. If you meant this with all your heart, would you just slip your hand up? I'd like to just pray for you right now. Would you slip your hand up? Anyone here today? Preacher, I just pray God bless you. Anyone else here today? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. Anyone? You may put your hand down once you put it up. Anyone else here today? Preacher, I prayed that prayer. And I asked the Lord to be my Savior. Would you do me a favor? If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, would you look right up here? Just right up here. I'm not here to embarrass you, but I want you to know something. One of the best decisions that you've ever made is to receive Christ as Savior. I've had a lot of great decisions in my life, but the greatest decision that I have made is to receive Christ as my Savior. And I want to encourage you today in just a few moments, we're going to have an invitation time. And I'm going to be pleading with Christians all through this building to come and to commit themselves to declare the gospel. But if you today prayed to receive Christ as Savior, would you do me a favor? I'm going to stand right up in the front, And I'm going to ask you to come right to me and let me know. I pray to receive Christ. And what we'd like to do is get some information to your hands and help you. I'd like to ask you to do that when we stand and begin singing. Christian, could I talk to you right now? Would you commit today to declaring the gospel?